The Little Written Podcast. Conversations with writers. This is the second part of a two-part interview with novelist Sophie Colombo. In this part, she discusses her upcoming second novel, Point No Point. If you haven't heard part one, in which Sophie discusses her award-winning debut novel, Rights, you can find that at www.littlewritten.co.uk. Otherwise, here's the interview. Uh, anyway, let, let's uh, talk about your next book. Mm. Um, I don't have much to go on here, really. I've got a little quote from your website. So it says it's about treason, revolution, hot air balloons, and set in 1790s London. So from this, I deduce it might be to do with the treason trials. Because yes. I've seen you've done some work on that with the BBC, I think, as well. Yes. So tell me what this book's about. Well... It's about as different from rights as could be, and also very similar. Uh, you mentioned the slender length of rights. Mm. Um, this is this is not true of my next novel, Point No Point, right. which is shaping up to be quite a beast. Um, Point No Point, the first respect in which it's different, is it's very firmly a historical novel. Mm-hmm. It's set in 1790s London. And the 1790s, of course, is the decade of the French Revolution. Mm. Um, I love historical fiction. I'm, I'm a big, big fan um, you know, Hilary Mantel has obviously done extraordinary things for the form recently, so it's, you know, really, really hot. And there have been quite a few novels about the French Revolution. There's been Hilary Mantel's A Place of Greater Safety, which is probably my favourite historical novel of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been also Andrew Miller's Pure, which is set in 18th century France. Um, and you've got sort of various others. The French Revolution is, is popular. But what doesn't tend to get much attention is Britain during the French Revolution. Mm. And you might say, well, yeah, because you know that's not really where the action's happening. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The 1790s is an unbelievably turbulent and exciting time in Britain, precisely because many, many writers and thinkers are responding to the French Revolution and using it to shape new radical ideas about what Britain could be like. Should we be going the same way as France? Should we be going the way of America? Should we be staying exactly where we are? Um, and so you get writers like Thomas Paine, like Mary Wollstonecraft, mm-hmm. Edmund Burke, among others, um, you know, kind of conducting this thing called the pamphlet war, where their ideas are flying around and because of increased literacy, you know, the country is caught up in this sort of reading fever. Mm-hmm. And the government gets very worried about this. Um, and William Pitt's administration decides um, that this is going too far. And so there's this crackdown on civil liberties, which is sometimes called Pitt's Terror, which leads to arrests, imprisonments, transportations, even death sentences at some points. And so I study this era. I study the literature of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fascinated in how, um, among other forms, the, the late 18th century novel kind of acts as the site of political debate. And what I started to do was to write a novel that was sort of a love letter to the 18th century novel of this period. First and foremost, it's a story. It's a story that's set in this turbulent 1790s, from 1789 through until 1795, Mm. in London, mainly. And it's the story of a character who started off as Thomas Paine, but now has a different name, Matthew Pike. So originally it was going to be about real people and real events. Originally it was. Generalised it out a bit. That didn't work. I'm I'm not a Hilary Mantel, much as I would love to be. I can't do that Thomas Cromwell, um, 
you know, I only write about real characters and I try to depict them as faithfully as I can kind of writing. It doesn't mm-hmm. work for me. I kept wanting to do different things with them, like send them up in hot air balloons. Right. And they didn't go up in hot air balloons. Um, so I took certain um, certain historical personages, certain kinds of characteristics, of experiences, of personality traits of which we have evidence, and sort of worked them into my own cast of characters. So for anyone who is familiar with Thomas Paine or Francis Burney or Mary Wollstonecraft they will read this novel and go, I recognise these people, but they're fictional. Um, And it's the story of um, this popular radical movement and this sort of painish figure at the centre of it. Mm -hmm. And, spoiler alert, his trial for treason. That's the linchpin of the whole thing. But woven around this is the story of, you know, several different people and the ways that they change over this turbulent political period personally politically in terms of what they believe and what they hold to be true mm-hmm. so there's this large cast of characters and that's why it's so long and yeah i wanted to you know i wanted to kind of bring not only the historical material but also some of the techniques of the 18th century novel back into the literary scene um I was talking to Helen Lewis at the New Statesman yesterday in a different interview and talking about how I don't think we really have um, a person who does what the 18th century novel does in today's literary scene, that rambunctiousness, that Mm -hmm. slight surrealness, that kind of grotesquerie. I don't think we have much of that. And this novel is an attempt to echo those sorts of 18th century novelness as well as to tell a story. Okay. Is it a more overtly political novel than rights because you're a period of we're talking about civil liberties and mm-hmm. free speech it's certainly about those things so yes some of the subject matter is intensely political we have um, you know a, a trial which is entirely about free speech and treason by printing this thing did this man commit treason um, we also have this is a massive massive challenge by the way I think for any writer JK Rowling does it beautifully we also have a committee meeting where you know I'm trying to get good dramatic material out of these guys sitting around trying to set up a society and decide how they're going to publish their minutes. So it's also about the minutiae of the political process. Mm -hmm. It's about the way that political movements split apart, Mm -hmm. about how things come up, personal and political differences, to um, dampen and slow that process and to turn people away from their ideals. So yes, I'd say it's more overtly political than rights. But the ambiguity that you referred to about you know, what really happens in rights, I think there's a very similar thing going on in Point No Point. Mm. We have these radical and conservative factions of people who at first glance appear to be agitating for completely different ways of life. And by the end, I want people to have readers to understand that neither of these factions is as clear-cut as it seems. Within a so-called radical progressive movement, there are elements of conservatism, and within a so-called conservative movement, there are these elements of radicalism in ways that we might not be used to detecting. So it's, it's about the reader's sympathy being finely balanced in the same way as mm-hmm. it is in rights. 
and like rights, it employs alternative perspectives and modes of telling the story. So there's that kind of similarity also. So in your BBC uh, documentary piece on this period, you, you were drawing parallels with the modern world. Mm-hmm. Is that also something you're intending to do in the novel? Because obviously civil liberties, rights and mm-hmm. responsibilities is, is something that has, has parallels today. Yes. There's no sense in which I am intending this novel as a critique of David Cameron, let's say. Right. Uh, I reserve that for my Twitter feed. It's too um, easy a target. Though, <laughs> well, it? exactly. Um, it's not meant to provide a clear and simple kind of, um, you know, analogy to mm-hmm. stuff that's happening today. But I think what I want, in a more general sense, I want people to reflect on the present by thinking about the past and how we construct history and the place of accident and apathy and various other things in determining the course of historical events. And that's kind of what the historical novel is about. You know, that's not massively original on my part. The historical Mm. novel is always really trying to get uh, readers to think about the present. So I'm definitely part of that tradition, I think. I think, you know, I've I've been very politically disillusioned over the last few years. Um, Certainly since the general election, there's a sense of sort of weariness um, of feeling that progressivism is sort of eating itself, of directionlessness, Mm -hmm. of good intentions being broken down, being broken apart by a sort of wider conservative mindset and I think that has fed into point no point actually it's that thing I haven't quite finished it nearly very nearly Mm. but I haven't quite finished it so once I've finished it I think I probably will find it's an elaborate metaphor about Jeremy Corbyn or something like that but until that point I've only got the vaguest inkling okay I think reading between the lines of I think the acknowledgements in rights you mentioned you say some things which suggest dark nights of the soul trying to finish that book Oh yeah, I thanked I thanked my friend Harry for bullying me to pick up my my pen up. Well, that was really because I I, I sort of um, bobbed around in my twenties, not really knowing what I wanted to do, and I always said, oh, I think I'd really like to be a novelist, and was writing short stories and stuff, um, but also felt you know like there was a a route that I should have follow that was more sensible so I was in the civil service for two years Mm. and I did get certain things from being in the civil service I met some great people I found out some interesting things but um, I really needed a bit of a shove Mm -hmm. to start doing something that was more about um, for want of a better phrase the life of the mind Mm. and Harry who um, really really good friend was constantly saying you're not a civil service and at the time I was like you're so unsupportive mm-hmm. uh, but actually he was right he was telling me you know you you need to read and you need to write and you need to go back to academia so that you can read and write and you need to do your fiction because that's what you, you're really meant to do and so that was kind of a thank you for that um, for telling me when I didn't think I wanted to hear it um, that actually this this road was the best road so with your second novel that road now decided, is it easier to, to go about that process? Oh, God, no. Um, no, the last novel has been has been terrible, a uh, terrible process. It's taken about four years. I started it before Rights was even published. I started writing it and went, God, I don't know why they say the second novel is so hard. This is mm. really, really easy. Off I go. And four years down the line, it's still not finished. 
Um, there are various reasons for that. Um, the most obvious reason is I've had to do other things. I finished my doctorate. I needed to get a job because I needed to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm very grateful for any bill paying that came about because of rights, but it wasn't, you know, that much. Um, so I got, you know, I was getting a job. I got married. Um, all these things got in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Point No Point is a much bigger novel, right. like in every way. Mm-hmm. It's much more ambitious. It tries to do a lot more. I don't know if it will be as popular. I don't. I think it's more difficult in some ways. It's certainly been more difficult to write. So it's gone on for four years. My husband, Rich, has been unfailing in his support and encouragement, as have many other people. My agent has the patience of a saint and mm-hmm. also is very encouraging. Um, and really, I just want to you know, sort of pay all these people back for um, that productive, you know, bullying, but also support um, by producing the bloody thing. Right. <laughs> so am I allowed to ask when we should expect to see it? I'm sending it to my agent in early March. Right. Okay. And beyond that, I wish I could tell you, oh, and the publication date will be X with X publisher. But it really, you know, it's kind of out of my hands at that point. Um, what I imagine will happen is... Um, he will have, my agent Ewan will have suggestions. Um, I will, you know, respond to and implement those suggestions. Um, and then he will, you know, be saying to publishers, you know, you need to have a look at this. Um, after rights, we did get some really fantastic publishers um, wanting to see my next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's great. Um, hopefully they still feel the same a few years down the line. So I would love, I would love it to be out in... 2017, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so we need to watch this space. Yes, which watch this space. particular space should be watching? Where should we look? Um, watch my Twitter. My Twitter is always the best place to get in touch. I usually am quite good at sort of blathering on about what I'm up to. So that's um, at s s m Colombo. Okay. I tweet under. So yeah, great. Well, thank you very very much indeed for speaking to me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. You can follow Sophie on Twitter at smcolombo, that's C-O-U-L-O-M-B-E-A-U. Follow me, Thomas Oloran Evans, at Mathistopheles, and The Little Written Podcast at Little Written. More links relevant for this episode can be found at www.littlewritten.co.uk.